Welcome back to 24 Faithful. We are excited. Well, we're here to talk about uh, season number six. <laughs> and so some of us are excited. Some of us are not quite as excited, but we are here to discuss all the different things. And so as we left Jack off in, actually, let me start that part over. So today we're joined by Joel Wood and Bradley Adams. So glad to have you guys with us. Bradley coming to us from Winona, Mississippi. And that part of the world is not excited right now, I have to tell you. Well, it will be. It will be over the next <laughs> 55 minutes. No, it's not going to happen. So, it's not going to happen, Joel. He, it's not going to happen. <laughs> That's what oh, we're here for. So, yeah, because as we left Jack in at the end of season number five, he had just saved the world again. And then he got captured by the Chinese because of a prank call. And so he could, so we saw him sailing off in a, in a, I don't know, freight, a freight boat, I guess, to go off to China. And he's off in China for 18 months. And season six, we see him coming back to America because there's a deal that was struck um, to be able to bring him back. And so it's interesting the way to be able to do that. And you see Jack, when he comes back, he's all uh, long hair, beard, shaggy looking, can't talk because he hadn't talked for 18 months. Um, other than there is a, there, there is one of those uh, prequel videos that you can watch on YouTube where he almost, starts to slip up in something. And I think that's probably the point to where he did not say anything from that point forward. But, but anyway, so he, he's in this disheveled state. And so that's where we find Jack as he comes back into the picture. I really like the way they handle this actually. Um, as I'm sure we'll end up talking about, there are very few things in season six that I like, but I do like the approach that they have with Jack, particularly in the first four episodes, but, this first one, the way he comes back, I mean, it's the latest in an episode or a premiere, I should say, that Jack appears. And he comes in and you... Bill's quite right, actually, in saying that you, he kind of didn't know what to expect. He thought he prepared himself, and it's worse. And it is. It, it does feel very much like he... They very much convey with Kiefer that Jack has been through hell for 20 months. He has the scars when he eventually reveals all over his back where they tortured him. Uh, it just looks fairly brutal. He has, like you said, the fact that he is not able to talk or he talks very quietly. He, there's, a, there's a bit where they're, when they're driving him to the drop-off point for Fayed and Wayne Palmer wants to talk to him and Bill has to just touch him on the shoulder and he jumps at it. Like you can see that he's got some sort of PTSD. And it's actually quite fascinating that <clears throat> this is our character who we thought was hard as nails in whenever it was season one. And slowly through the seasons, we've learned, you know, his emotional states, his, his breakdowns over Kim's potential death, over Terry's actual death, the way he recovered in season two, the heroin addiction, sort of rebuilding his life with Audrey. He's gone through ups and downs, and we're now seeing possibly the lowest point. And I think it's fascinating and you have that lovely quote when Bill drops him off and handcuffs him to the, to the grate, where he says about how he didn't want to die for nothing in China. 
And that's why he fought so hard not to die. And now today that he is being sacrificed to Fayed so that they can find the person responsible, Assad, for all of the attacks on America in the last 11 weeks, that means he's dying for something. It's his choice. And that's how he gets to go out. I, I, I just, I love the way they handled Jack in these opening episodes, I have to say. Well, I mean, Jack's had a rough past couple of days. Days? Um, I mean, he, he came back from, from being underground for, I forget how long, three years? Year and a half, something like that. 18, 18 months he was dead. 18, 18 months that he was supposedly dead. He came back for one day. Helped them, helped them basically arrest the president. And then he's gone for another 20 months. <clears throat> so it's like, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like in the last 38 months, he's had one day of peace of, 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 of being out in the open. Okay. Um, and you can tell, like, when he, when, he, when he tells Bill that he wants Kim to not know he's back. Because he knows how, he knows how Kim took him basically telling her that he faked his death. So telling her that he was alive again probably would be too much for her. So you could tell that that under Jack's watch, Jack figured that, okay, I'm only going to be alive for a couple more, maybe an hour. Um, and you, and you, you saw on his hands, like his, his, he looked, he looked like someone that had 80 year old hands, even though he was considerably younger. Um, just on the general, on the general principle of how he looked and how he, you could tell that he did, that he hadn't lost his instincts. Like when he told Curtis when he was sitting in that in that um, in that shed that you know I know what is asked of me you don't need your weapon and Curtis and Curtis took his took his hand off his service weapon is is even though he had basically spent the last twenty months in isolation he hadn't lost his instincts and you could tell during the interrogation with Fayed that even though he was prepared to die, he had not lost his instincts. And his instinct is what naturally um, got him free of Fayette. But his edge has gone, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see that the episode after when he is torturing a sad man and he believes him. And then Assad starts questioning him and he turns over and, and Jack was wrong. And he has this whole phase here, and when we come on to Tim talking about killing Curtis in a minute, that he breaks down and says to Bill that he can't do this anymore. And later in the season, he'll he tells Bill about this and reflects on it. And I think it's really interesting the way they approach this in these first four episodes. Of yes, he has that instinct still. You see that. You can see that he's still there's there's part of him that still has the capability. 
but he is right that he is not he's not as he was he has been affected by the chinese and the jack that we know from the first five seasons the way that he carries himself the way that he acts the way that he actually performed at his job that's not there anymore it's not he's not quite up to that level but we also know that right there early on well, of course it's all set up that fayed is helping to be able to locate Assad because Assad is the one supposedly that was the terrorist that was going to be bombing, uh, setting off the bomb. But we learned quickly that Fayed set up that whole thing to where Assad actually wasn't, but Fayed was going to be the one sending off the bomb. And this is just a play that he was doing. And that's where Jack kind of reversed that, that whole thing where you talked about there, where he said it's, about dying for something versus dying for nothing, um, he realized, okay, if he dies at this point, now that he knows that Fayed is the actual terrorist and just setting up Assad, then he's like, okay, this isn't going to work. I need to get, first of all, I'm not going to die for this. And then he needs to get out there and warn CTU so they can be able to get the real criminal. And so and so, I thought that was an interesting twist. I, I love it. I, I rewatching it, it kind of struck me how good it is. Um, it, it is it is so well handled, and and it's weird because it's not one of those where it sort of clicks like that, and suddenly you go, "Oh, Assad's the, the villain." When Fayad says it, there's like a twenty thirty second build up of realization without him actually saying it, and then he says it, and it's it's just really nice. And I think on mm. Assad in general, Alexander Siddig who. Uh, most recently people will know from Game of Thrones in that horrendous role as head of the Sand Snakes. Um, he's actually really enjoyable here. And it's, it's, it's a nice change of pace from having not watched this season in so long, certainly not more recently than I've watched Game of Thrones season five, that I actually like watching it here. So that's nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was kind of surprised by that. <laughs> I think think, 24 podcast. Sorry, sorry. I just, you know, I just had to mention that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like the um, kind of uh, Kiefer channeling his uh, his inner Lost Boys uh, reunion when he took a bite out of that guy's neck. (laughs) I thought I thought that that was kind of. uh, Kind of hard to look at, but at the same time, when you when you know Kiefer's history in movies, um, it's kind of funny. Well, presumably Jack hadn't had breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you haven't had breakfast, you got to you got to take a bite out of somebody's neck. I got you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that 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 was probably the funniest part of uh, of the episode for me. Um, because you, <clears throat> Jad did a great job of playing the um, conflicted um, CTU agent. Um, he was torn between, I can't do this anymore, and I need to, you know, do this to help my country. He was kind of torn between that mold. Um, and you saw that several times when he would tell Bill that I can't do this anymore or after he shot Curtis. Um, 
different points during the season, um, during the interrogation with Assad, where he looked like he was about to give up, but then something happened that would jolt him back into, into action, so to speak. And I thought that that was one of the intriguing parts of the first six episodes was watching him tear himself back and forth between I don't know how to do this anymore or I can't do this anymore to I have to do this. And that's what really frustrates me about the <clears throat> 18, 20 episodes, how many do we want to call it, of this season? Because, like I say, the first four with Jack's PTSD, the fact that he's clearly struggling, the fact he's very clearly not who he was, and that sort of low point after he does shoot Curtis... And then it just gets dropped. And, and there's the mention of it after Graham dies. And that's it. There's, there's nothing else to it. There's no, there's no hesitation. It's always Jack is in the middle of something. He's flying here to stop this thing, or he's la- landing there and going to stop this attack, or this lead is propped up and he's got to follow it, or whatever. And it, it just goes on and on and on up until sort of the end of the very end scene of the season. And it kind of feels like, well, this was a really good opportunity for some introspection and some stuff like that. And I feel like Homeland, actually, the way that they portray Carrie in that with, uh, obviously, from the same creators, the way that she has her issues and the way that they deal with that, I feel like that's kind of born out of season six and the mistakes that they made here of setting it up and then just not exploring it very much. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to with the whole um, twist and who the terrorist is, you have Jack that, that knows the truth and he's trying to convey that information to CTU and they're like, no, no, this is, I mean, and so they're not believing him at all. So Jack has to go rogue again. I mean, just coming out of his, his, his uh, 20, 20 months in uh, China, not talking, not doing any of that. And I mean, we've already talked about his senses being not quite as sharp as they they used to be. But he goes in and and does this, and then he has to convince Assad that he's trying to help him be able to be able to do this. And it's just it's just really interesting that whole chain of events that takes place until like people finally start to realize, okay, Assad really is trying to make up for his terrorist activities and try to do peace. And um, I mean, not totally, not like totally reformed, I guess, but anyway, I do have one criticism of Assad and Alexander Siddig and it's not really, and Joel's rolling his eyes. It's sort of a criticism. It's not really his fault actually, because the, the thing I had with this is that when Assad gets taken into CTU, and Bill and Nadia question him. And he goes in and everyone just looks horrified, terrified of him. And, you know, this, this is a guy who's spent the last 20 years attacking America. They've thought that he's been leading these attacks for the last 11 weeks. Ultimately, his commitment to his cause has resulted in these 11 weeks of attacks, even if he's not the one leading them. And it kind of struck me that, to me, watching the show, and I don't know how you guys feel, but watching the show from the outside, Alexander Siddig looks completely disarming. He doesn't look threatening. He doesn't look like a mass murdering terrorist. And, and that's not his fault, but it's just, it, it's very hard for me to believe actually watching him 
that this is a guy that everyone is afraid of. It it doesn't it didn't sit right with me. It seemed weird. And you know, like I say, it's not his fault. He's been cast in this role, and you know, he can't change the fact that he looks fairly disarming. But it's it's just how I felt watching it. I don't know how you guys feel. Did you see the way he jammed that knife in the buddy's knee? Well, yeah, but like you don't. Okay. Jack doesn't walk into a room that's, and you don't panic fear about that's him. That's alarming to me. That's alarming to me. When I see when I see a guy just out of nowhere just jam a knife into somebody's knee and then twist it until he starts talking, that to me is intimidating. I don't know how anybody else feels, but that to me is intimidating. Oh, yeah, his actions, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But just him yeah. as like a yeah, but he's not talking. Him as walking into a room, I I don't. I, I, it, it's hard for I, I understand why they get it, why they have it, but for me watching it, it's hard for me to look at him and think, yeah, that guy is just could kill anyone here. Well, you could probably yeah, think, you could probably say the same thing about Jack. Like if you if you didn't know what Jack's history was and you just looked at him walking on the street, you probably wouldn't think that you know this guy will rip your tongue out if it means getting what he wants to know out of you. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think that's probably I mean from a from a terrorist perspective, that's probably a good quality to have to where someone doesn't look at you and automatically assume, oh look, there's a terrorist walking down the street. No, it's just okay, there's a guy, and you can be able to just walk freely. Whereas, I mean, you have Fayed, he, he looks a little bit more like, okay, he's up to something. And so he, he looks like he's a, a bad dude. And so, and so you, you, and so it's like, you see him walking down the street. It's like, you might look a little sideways. It's like, okay, he looks like he's packing something or he's up to something. And so, so where, like you said, with Assad, you don't get that vibe just by seeing him. I think that's partly because Fayed walks around with a with a gun on his chest. So, <laughs> all I'm, all I'm th- I think that might be part of it. All I'm thinking is that Alexander Siddig looks like a normal civilian, and I'm flashing back to like season one. Zelko Ivanek as Andre just looks evil. He yeah. looks. He looks yeah. like he looks like a, a a regular citizen until you know he needs to question you and he jams a knife in your kneecap. Yeah. Yeah, of course, talking about the whole <clears throat> issue with Assad and trying to convince everyone that Assad is doing the right thing, there's this confrontation that takes place between Jack and Curtis, and it doesn't end well, and it it totally traumatizes Jack in the aftermath of what he had to do because he didn't want to do it because Curtis is a friend, and but it just came down to where Curtis just couldn't let the pass go to be able to do his job basically, which to be fair, Jack has done similar things in the past. Um, I mean, even just in the last season, I mean, he let, he let uh, Henderson go for a little while, do what needed to be done. And then he took care of business, but Curtis couldn't even make it a couple hours into being able to let it play out. I get the impression Joel has thoughts. I hated it. I hated it. I mean, you saw the little the little teases. Every time Bill or Jack would mention Assad and mention Assad working with them and mention Assad turning over a new leaf 
or what have you, you could see the look in Curtis's face or listen to the words that will come out of his mouth. And you could tell, even if you hadn't seen the season yet, you could tell something was about to happen. Something was about to come to a head. Um, I didn't expect it to happen so early. I figured they would have let it at least play out to like, I don't know, episode eight or something like that. But you knew that something was going to happen just based off of his looks, his mannerisms, the words. Um, and then when Jack finally found out what happened in the past between Curtis and Saad, by then it was too late. <clears throat> um, you know, Jack is, there have been times where Jack has let his personal uh, grudges kind of overshadow him a little bit, like with Henderson, like with Nina. Um, but the one thing that Jack did that Curtis couldn't seem to be able to do was he got all he needed out of them first before he killed them. Curtis <laughs> couldn't allow that to happen. And as a result, um, Jack had to do what he had to do. But I still hated it. I thought they should have let Curtis at least, at least make it through half the season before they killed him. I've never. Other than, other, other than Tony, Curtis was, was the guy that always had Jack's back in the field. And just killing him off like that after episode three, I think, it's just it it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, he was in it for four episodes. Episode four, they got rid of him. And, um, Roger Cross had said that they had decided before the season started that this was what they were going to do, that they were going to get rid of him early. Uh, he's a guest star in all four of these episodes. He's not actually a series regular. So that's your first indication. Um, I've never actually hated his death as much as most people do, as much as Joel seems to. I never liked it, but I've never hated it that much. I think the the build-up stuff of Curtis versus Assad in the hour, hour and a half before Curtis dies, it sort of works until you realise that the whole thing is just a setup to kill Curtis and doesn't really exist for any reason beyond that, and then it kind of doesn't work. I don't think the actual scene of killing Curtis is great, and the whole sort of sequence of the logic to building it up of that Jack asked Chloe to find out about Curtis. And then 40 minutes later, she does the fact that he doesn't really push her at it when it's clearly an issue. It's clearly something he needs quite quickly. And then shooting Curtis, it just, just doesn't feel right in the scene. It doesn't feel like it, it, it just doesn't work. Um, from an emotional point of view, I like it from the sense of that, in, in terms of Jack's PTSD and all the stuff I talked about earlier, that killing one of his colleagues, one of his close friends, I, I know we haven't really seen them, uh, you know, they don't actually have that much of a history when we, when you look at it, but obviously we've spent, we spent whole hours with them. And so it kind of builds up that relationship for us and I suppose for them as well. 
And from that perspective, it works. This is just another low ebb for Jack of having to kill one of his colleagues. Another thing to remind him that this job probably isn't for him anymore. That He's gone through all this horror and now he's still got to keep doing horror and he quits. Um, and that part of it, I love. Apart from the fact that they just abandon it immediately afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not great. And Roger Cross actually has said that this, he didn't particularly like it. Which tells you a lot. Wouldn't either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the I I think it comes back, we've mentioned it before to where the the way they did the writing and everything in season six was not good. So the like they did the individual thing that the fact that they they got rid of Curtis and they, they killed him off. I mean that's that's not necessarily the bad thing. It's the way they did it, the setup and just the whole the whole thing it's like it was forced um the, the way they did that and so because the, the, the way curtis was handling himself was i, I don't know I, I maybe i'm wrong but it didn't seem consistent with what we knew of curtis prior to season six but and so it's like i don't know i mean but it, it, it could be i could be wrong on that but it just didn't seem out of so it seemed like they were just forcing it it was just a plot device they get rid of them in what way do you think out of character i don't know just the way that he was like holding the grudge to to the fact that he was getting ready to kill assad even though he's been told multiple times by by everybody that it's basically mission critical that we work with him at this point but he just couldn't let it go so it, it just it just seemed like it was out of character for him i mean me. when you look at the way he handled marianne and the fact that he never trusted her and wouldn't let it go even though aaron was like no just get on with it and also his territorial stuff with tony in the brief moment that tony was director in season four i feel like there is some basis to it. I, I do get what you're saying but i think that this is probably a line we wouldn't have expected curtis to cross but then there is some basis for it and given what chloe said that happened in the past i I can kind of see it maybe but but you in terms of in terms of the character i think hated it yeah okay Uh, in terms of the character i think there's a basis (laughs) i think actually what you're saying from from me is that even though it's kind of in character when you think about it you wouldn't expect this to be the route that curtis dies in you kind of think well he's gonna die saving Jack or in the line of duty or whatever, it's not going to be because he is angry at someone they've got to work with that killed his men in the past. It, it just, it doesn't seem consistent with what we'd expect for his character, even if actually some of it is rooted in stuff we know. Yeah. And, and that's probably more what it is, is, I mean, when you think about it, you can come up with the justifications and the reasoning, but when you're just watching it, it doesn't it, to me, or at least first time, it didn't seem to fit. I mean, it it was like okay, I can kind of buy that, but I don't know. But it just seemed like they were just pushing it too far. But and of course, I mean, in that episode four, that's not the only big thing that happens. You have a nuclear bomb that goes off in the middle of was it Valencia, and so so that was a obviously a big big thing that happened. You have Jack curled up in a little ball just giving up quitting at that point and fair play to them of, of all the missteps in season six this is not one of them 
the handling of the bomb, of the actual detonation, the build-up to it, the immediate aftermath in that episode, and the immediate aftermath in the next episode is really good. The tension on the nuke actually going off, it's one of the few times in this season where you're in a, they put characters into a position where something could happen or it could not happen and you don't know which way it's going to go. There are so many instances this season where there's a fake tension because, well, you know, that thing's not going to happen to this character. And we'll talk about that one in the next podcast. But with the bomb going off in Valencia, it's a bit of a, well, surely the only thing that's stopping you thinking they can do it is a, well, surely they're not going to set off a nuclear bomb four episodes into a season in the middle of a crowded city. Surely they're not. Oh, no, they have done that. Okay. Just about every season, you know, even, even though the overall threat is usually stopped, there's always one big incident at some point in the season um, that gives the, the terrorists or the villains, whatever you want to call them, um, a big win or a big advantage over Jack and CTU. Um, like the, the, the bombing of CTU or the, um, in the season nerve gas at CTU. Yeah. yeah. In season five, the nerve gas at CTU. It always seems to be CTU, but anyway, horrible security team, but that's another story. Um, <clears throat> and now in season six, you have the bomb in Valencia. There always seems to be that one big incident that makes you wonder, can they rebound from this? And I think the bomb in Valencia, you can see the look on Jack's face. You see the look on Wayne's, on Wayne Palmer's face. Um, it added a, another level of, um, what am I looking for? Another level of anxiety um, to the season. You see, you see Jack calling Bill at the beginning of the next episode and Bill saying, you know, I thought you were out. And Jack was saying, no, not after this. And you, <laughs> you see a, a helicopter just randomly hanging off the side of a house. <laughs> and then you start to wonder, you start to get a grasp of exactly how serious this threat is. And it's, it's serious enough to have Jack go from, it's like I was talking about earlier, pouring between I can't do this anymore and I have to do this um, to save my country. And there's a, there's a fine line in there that Jack toes pretty much the entire season. Um, and for him to say, I'm done, you know, I'm out to five minutes later calling calling Bill saying to come come pick me up, you know, I'm back in. That shows you exactly how serious this threat was. Yeah, definitely. And so it was it was definitely one of those moments. I mean we, we saw that type of moment with Jack 
uh, where we see him break down. We saw that like at the end of season three. I mean, obviously, we saw it at the end of season one with with Terry's death, but we saw it at the end of season three as well. It's like all the events and the accumulation of everything that happened, and here he is. He's at the end, and it's like, I mean, again, he he had to do something potentially long term to a friend, so he cut off Chase's um hand, and. And then all that, and just to be able to do his job, save the day, and he, and so he he did that, and he breaks down at the end of the season. But here we see less than the end. I mean, we get to the end of see episode four, and it's like he's totally broken down at this point. And so we can just see the toll that everything has done so far, and everything that he did just in those first four episodes is just incredible how much he had to go through to be able to accomplish this, to try to stop the bomb from going off. And there it goes off. So he had to shoot his friend and the bomb goes off like boom, boom. And, and he's like, okay, I'm done. I, I, I thought I couldn't handle this. And now it's like, I know I can't handle this anymore. But then he pulls himself together and it's like, okay, let's, let's get back up. Let's, let's get this taken care of because the threat's not over. And so he finally, gets himself back up but yeah so and the emotion actually behind the bomb behind everything that happens with the bomb is part of why i love the fallout jack stuff that you talk about there the helicopter scene that you mentioned joel which is really quite good chloe's emotion back at ctu of the fact that curtis has died and all the people have died and everyone that she knows keeps dying and how you know it's it's hard and we you know we, we we're fully on board with chloe at this stage aren't we and she's almost our conduit actually for emotion and then we have um wayne going to deliver that speech to the american people and his conversation with tom lennox about how he can't let the american people see how nervous he is and and sort of the fear that we see in that and the split screen um fade at the end of the episode as he's given the speech which i think is probably the last good moment of this season actually it is it is just it it is just a real, real hit of emotion. This ep- that that episode after the bomb, of well, the worst thing that could ever happen has happened. So how do all of the characters that we know and love? How do they react to it? And and it is it is great. But the problem comes that the season hits the wall now, because you've set off a nuclear bomb. You've set up the worst threat possible. So now what? Now what do you do? You can't set off you can't set off another one. You can't do anything. You can't do anything to top this. So, yeah, Joel's not happy. Okay, 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 Bradley. We're not going to make it through these next four podcasts <laughs> if you don't at least pretend like you enjoyed this season. Okay, I've enjoyed these four episodes. I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying these next four podcasts are going to be incredibly long here. <laughs> All right. Well, we knew this I'm, from the start. <laughs> I personally. Loved it. I loved the emotion. I loved the 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 acting, the looks. Isn't that what I just said? Uh, the the rare. Well, yes, but you're not. You don't have as much enthusiasm as no. I have here. All right. <laughs> so the, the 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 way that Chloe showed emotion, and Chloe is not the type of person that shows very much emotion. She's very stoic. She's very job oriented i mean with the with, with the exception of you know after edgar died um and you know the aftermath of that 
that was probably the the last time that you really saw her break down or show any kind of emotion. And then the very next season, she loses Curtis. So even though we're really focused on Jack and all of the losses that he's had and the fact that, you know, he's on the verge of, of breaking down himself, you got to think about what Chloe's been through. Um, you know, she was, she was close with, with Chase before anybody. So imagine what she went through when she found out that, you know, Jack cut off his freaking hand. To Edgar dying, to her almost dying because she knew that Jack was alive. Um, to Curtis getting shot. And I never really, before 24, I never really paid attention to Mary Lynn's credits, so to speak. Um, and she was rather annoying in uh, season three. No, I didn't particularly like her in season three. But she started to grow on me from season four on. And by season six, I was fully on board with with Chloe O'Brien because of the way she can display emotion without actually breaking down. Like you rarely ever saw any tears, but she can display that emotion without actually without it actually affecting her work. And I thought that, especially in, in, in season six, when it finally hits home to her and she's like, why does everybody I know keep dying? You know, that's when she's starting to, in my opinion, for the first time, I think that's when she's starting to reevaluate the, the chosen field that she's in or the kind of life that she's that she's living right now, especially when it pertains to the job that she's doing. Even though she knows it's best for the country, what is it costing her? Yeah, that's really interesting. But we started talking about President Palmer too. So yes. uh, Wayne Palmer. And so Love. I, I I still wonder how in the world he made it to become president after everything we saw of him in past episodes. I mean, it's, it's not like he was terrible, but he did a lot of questionable things Look, in season three. None of that is public record. Okay. Even still, even still, I mean, for, for us as, as watchers, or at least me, at least. I, I guess I can't speak for you, Joel, because that's obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> no one can speak for Joel. We know where you stand, but but I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I don't like him as a president. I just, I don't know. It just seems like like a difficult buy for me to to be able to see that because I don't because because I mean we saw what he did in season three, and it's like all that tragic stuff. Okay, yeah, maybe it's all buried and all that kind of stuff but we got then you see him in season five and <laughs> and uh 
I, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem, doesn't seem like he's been doing a lot. See, I try to look at it to be from, to for, but. I tried to look at it from like a, a non watcher's point of view. Like how would, how would I view it if I was in the season, if I was one of the, the, the citizens of Los Angeles and from the outside looking in, Wayne is a former chief of staff to David Palmer. That's it. Because in season three, you know, that whole affair with, with Alan Milliken, the, the scandal that, that came of it, the death of Alan Milliken, um, Alan's dead. Julie's dead. Sherry's dead. David's dead. The other four people that know what happened, they're all dead. So it's easy to conceive why um, that would not make it to light because there's nobody to bring it to light. Wayne's not going to do it. Um, and then you think about everything that happened in season five. The main, the main plot around why he was so active, especially at the end of season five, was to take down President Logan. Um, President Logan's in jail. Well, for a little bit he was anyway. So anybody that could, when they broke into the bank, you know, toward the end of, toward the end of that, the guy started to come around to why they were breaking into the bank. And then he died. So <laughs> pretty, pretty much just about everybody that could put Wayne Palmer in a negative light is either dead or not done. So it's conceivable to think that none of this has actually come to light because of the fact that all of the witnesses, all of the, the, the culprits and the accomplices are either dead or in jail. So I haven't checked it. I haven't checked the wiki or anything like that lately, but I'm pretty sure nothing actually happened as a result of that. And that's probably why. I can see I can see why he'd run because he wants to honor David's legacy. And I can see why people would vote for him. Like you said, he was chief of staff to David and he's a name he's a known name. Uh we know nothing really about his policy or anything like that. But I, I, I do understand the perspective of how he'd get into the White House. What I don't really get, and I have absolutely nothing against DB Woodside. I think he's I don't think he's particularly good or bad at any point in this season. He's just he's fine. Um, but I don't really get why he's president in terms of the show. I don't get the setup from it because what, what is there to achieve out of it? He's never going to be as good as David. We know this. We, everyone loves David. He is sort of, he's become the, the star, the, the man to aspire to for all future presidents. And Wayne's never going to live up to that, no matter how much he tries. We know that, and I think he knows that. And then he's kind of put in the most 
impossible of scenarios. Like David never had to deal with a nuclear bomb going off in a city. Yes, he had to deal with a nuclear bomb in his first in his first major threat that we saw, but they successfully got that away from the population. Only George Mason died. With Wayne, it feels like it, it kind of feels like okay, well, David could handle the worst things. So let's let's put the worst things on cocaine and then throw that at Wayne and see how he handles it. And it just it's weird. I, I think it's weird, and I think I don't. I'm not really on board with putting Wayne into this position where he's trying to emulate his brother. He's trying to live up to his brother's expectations of him, of him. And he's almost in a position where failure is inevitable because that, that, that's just how it feels to me. That's just how it feels that this is where this threat is. I think they just wanted to continue the Palmer storyline for another season. Didn't need um, to do that. And since that uh, bite your tongue, but they and, don't, uh, you know, things don't have to keep on going beyond. They didn't have to prolong Tony Almeida's storyline, but they did. Let's see how that works out. Mute that man's microphone, <laughs> please. <laughs> then I don't lost my train of thought. Now you don't got me so flustered. They wanted. They probably didn't have a president for season six. Okay. And they thought that by having Wayne Palmer there, it would give them a, a familiar name with a respectable legacy to live up to. I mean, nobody, nobody wonders why George Bush ran after his father did, but he has a legacy. Wayne Palmer has a legacy. He may not be able to live up to that legacy. But it's an interesting storyline to incorporate into, into the season because David's dead, so David's not coming back. So they had to figure out a way to continue that storyline without him actually being in it. And after <clears throat> and I also think that after the turmoil of season five, that they really wanted to have another president that was on Jack's side, um, which Wayne obviously was up until the point they tried to take him out. Um, so I think that combination of that, plus they wanted to continue the Palmer storyline, I think those are reasons why they had him be president. Um, I thought that they should have extended his presidency throughout the entire season as opposed to, you know, cutting his water off as early as they did. So other than that, that's probably my only gripe about it because he didn't really get a chance to do much because a majority of the season was spent with him trying to win fights with his cabinet or win fights with the vice president. And even, even David during his presidency, he, I mean, he had little squabbles here and there with his cabinet, but for the most part, for the most part, most of his battles were spent outside of the office of the presidency. 
And I thought that they spent too much time having Wayne fight with his cabinet as opposed to actually trying to um, get the job done. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's also the the other family tensions with uh, with Wayne Palmer that that come into play as well with um, with Wayne's sister, hated her, and different things like that that come into play as well. We have Walid that um that comes into play there, and he gets detained. We're going to talk about the racial profile the racial in general when we, when we get to the end of season six issues because and things it kind like of that comes through up everything with that. And I think we're probably better off avoiding talking about it four times rather than doing it just once. But this story is just so stupid, like really, really stupid. And I think this also features one of the great crimes of season six, which is the terrible use of Regina King, who is so, so good. And her role as Sandra Palmer is to just kind of whine and uh, uh, saying whining about the law seems wrong because, you know, she's standing up for the right. Um, she she is she is fully in, in in the correct mindset here of standing up for the constitution and for the rights of innocent people, but it just it's the same. Her storyline is the same thing five times over. In this in this early part of the season of complaining about the civil rights and complaining about them going after Walid, and then they get to the det- detention facility and it's all, like she almost seems to have the same line every time of stop of like get him out of there or whatever, and it's just such a waste. And then you end up the whole storyline is a waste of time. And I get that the fact that they convey this as uh, Waleed, the people that Waleed was spying on didn't want to speak because they've been thrown in there, taken out of their homes illegally and they're being detained and their people think they're terrorists. So why would they share any information with the government? Okay. Yes. And I get that how that then feeds into the Tom Lennox detention facilities plan and Wayne cutting that down. And there is actually a lovely scene in episode seven, of Wayne's going to do it. And then Sandra basically talks him out of it without knowing that she's talking him out of it. That's lovely. And I get that, but it just feels like a complete waste of time. It feels like we spend six episodes or five episodes, I should say, watching Waleed go through this ordeal. And then, Oh, they just got info from the internet. This isn't actually going to go anywhere. It, it, it feels like a waste of time to me. And yeah, not great. He's amazing in the leftovers. Amazing. I like Regina King. <laughs> I like uh, the majority of her movies. Um, that she's okay, that was, that's probably in the middle of uh, my favorite appearances by her. Um, <clears throat> but I thought the premise of why she's, of why she's here is spot on. Like I under I understand what she's fighting for. I understand, you know, why she's upset. But some of the dialogue that they gave her was not the best dialogue that you could give them because it's it's rooted in the same in the same material. Um her the whole thing with Waleed, which I thought the whole thing with Waleed I thought was kind of 
it was really bad because we found out in the whole storyline that it was all for nothing. Waleed had no purpose there. They didn't know about the bomb. They didn't know about, you know, anything. They read it off of a message board. So it's kind of like, well, why did we even have these scenes in the first place? Because they didn't, all it solved was, all that happened was Waleed got beat up. That was it. And I just, I thought they could have probably cut all of those scenes out and it wouldn't have affected the show at all. Well, we do learn about the fact that there are four more bombs from this, but that's it. That's the only thing we get out of this. Other than that, it is, and, and, and it is, it is fully in there for the sake of the Tom Lennox plan and the way that that forms everything at the White House. And, and from, from that perspective, it kind of matters because as we'll talk about Nick or in the next episode, sorry, um, the fact that Sandra talk, sort of talks Wayne out of going through the plan because of what's happened to Waleed and what's happening at the detention facility, that then leads Wayne to not approve the plan, which leads Tom to thinking about resigning and then getting on board with Reed's assassination plan and then the assassination. I get that there is a chain of, of events there and that this kind of starts it. And so from that perspective, it feels like it needs to be there. But when you're watching it, I, I, every time I, I think, well, this has got to go somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. It's got to lead to something. There's, something has to come out of this. And then it doesn't. And the fact that, I say, we'll talk about it more in detail at the end of season six, but the fact that the racial politics angle is so not very well handled, that doesn't help at all. Um, and it, it's a shame because, I, let's say, Regina King, Watchmen as well, that she was in last year on HBO, just... She's she's so so good, and it saddens me actually rewatching this that she just has the same line over and over and over and over again for five episodes. It's it's a real tragedy. Yeah, I didn't I didn't particularly like like a majority of her scenes. The majority of her scenes I didn't like because most of them with the exception of a few, most of them just seemed out of place, like plot devices. Like you could have taken those scenes out and it probably would not have affected the overall flow of that particular episode. And we talked at the end of season five about how very few in season five were guilty of that. And we've had quite a few already. You can see why I don't like this season, Joel. Well, see, there, there's a couple of bad eggs there, Bradley, okay? But that doesn't affect <laughs> the overall enjoyment of season six, okay? And I'm, I'm, I need you to get on board here with the, the enjoyment of season six if these next four podcasts are going to be top-notch material, okay? Because I, <laughs> I need you to mimic at least one-tenth of my excitement right now. All right. <laughs> if you can mimic at least one tenth of my excitement, then we'll be all right. Okay. Well, I think that could be a struggle, but we'll see. Well, um, you got a week to we'll work on it. Well, I've got two weeks actually, because we're not going to be here next week because it's Thanksgiving oh, yeah, that's over right. in America that you guys are celebrating. And I'm just going to be, it's going to be a normal week for me because it's not a thing over here. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> so you'll be out of Wyoming, Mississippi by then. I got you. Yes, I will be out of there by then. 
Um, but we'll be back in two weeks' time. Uh, in the meantime, if you have any feedback, uh, visit 24faithful.com. All of our links, our Twitter and our email, and even the uh, link to leave us a voicemail. I don't think anyone's done that yet, but uh, if you do want to leave us a voicemail with your thoughts, then you can do that on there. Um, and if you want to write out some thoughts, that's very possible through 24faithful.com as well. Uh, how great uh, we're season six is. <laughs> yeah, tell me how wrong I am about how season six is not very good. Um, but we're going to wrap up there and say we'll be back in two weeks' time to talk about episodes seven through 12. I hope you'll join us again then.